Turn with me to John 13. We'll get back into Hebrews, uh, Lord willing, next uh, Sunday. So when I say Lord willing, I expect to be here, but that's the plan. But John chapter 13 today, and then uh, jump back into Hebrews chapter 2 next week. I think you're going to really be blessed as we go through the book of Hebrews. Again, if you're new, uh, we go verse by verse. I'm in the book of Titus on Wednesdays, though Trevor's teaching this Wednesday. Hebrews on Sunday, though today I'll be in John 13. Uh, kind of a third part of looking at uh, Passover week, if you will. And then um, uh, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. You guys can already even have it marked for you for John chapter 13. A couple of people do need a Bible. Thank you, gentlemen, for passing them out. If you don't have a Bible, you can certainly keep that as well. John 13, starting with verse 1. John 13, verse 1, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended. The devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his garments, he took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, I don't know if you like feet or not. You probably only like your own. This would probably not be enjoyable for most of us, right? And began to wipe them with a towel with, with, uh, with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what am, I, what I am doing now, you do not understand. Now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not on my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Good answer. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. But he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? Brother and sister and Lord, do you know what Jesus has done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not, this is such a problem in the American church, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Father, we ask again, I ask for your anointing. Lord, remove every distraction in this room. Any distraction that I would have, any distraction that your people would have, any distraction at all, remove it, Lord, that we would hear 
the Holy Spirit anoint this time. Remove me as I pray often, as it were, from the equation that you would be heard and heard alone. Flow through your word and uh, me, your servant. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, two weeks ago, we examined Jesus coming into Jerusalem at the time of what? Passover. It's mentioned here in verse 1 again. Last week, we focused on Christ pouring out his life, his literal blood, all of him. He poured himself out on the cross. And then we looked at him stepping out of the grave. And we love that, right? He doesn't step out of the grave. You and I aren't stepping into eternity. Today, I want to go back one more time, three weeks in a row, to this pivotal Passover week. As we have one more Sunday in April, I was like, you know, we got this hanging out one extra Sunday. I said, Lord, let's just, I just felt like the Lord said, stay one more time in this Passover week. Because I think what Jesus is saying to us is, do you know what I did for you? He said it here, literally. I'm not just adding that. He said, do you know what I've done for you? And I believe he's asking us the same question. Do you know what I've done for you? We want to look one more time as what Jesus modeled for the church to follow. Not modeled for the church to know. It's not a good thing to say, I know Red lights are important. I just don't observe them. Either you or someone else is going to pay the price for that, right? So we're here this morning to look at that. And I also, I also uh, want to, at the end of the service, do a little tiny follow-up. We had a ministry Sunday back in January. We always do a ministry Sunday. And I want a little follow-up as it relates to this message because we have... You know, from May through the end of this year coming up, next, next, week, uh, next week starts May. And so we have, um, you know, two-thirds of the year coming up where we still have opportunities for God to do what he desires to do. And, but, but we need to be the servants that are actually having the towel in our hand and following the ways of the master. So we'll look a little bit at that at the very end of uh, this teaching. So if you're taking notes, uh, first thing we want to take a look at uh, is it mentions Jesus as an example here. And I want you to take a look with me um, at a few of the things I have enumerated here. Um, six things I have enumerated uh, that Jesus uh, demonstrates. You probably could come up with more, uh, but we're going to look at six. And if you're taking notes, the first thing, take a look. Um, uh, he says, now his hour had come. Having love, verse 1, his hour had come, having loved his own. He's, he's about to die. He's about to not just die. He's not going to go into like sleep pills and just, he's going to be brutally murdered. But it says he loved his own. If you're taking notes, the first thing about his example to us, love is about others. Love is about others. His heart, his eyes, they were fixed on completing the mission. His hour has come, but he loved his own. His eyes are fixed on completing the mission for which God had sent him. And who was the mission about? People. The whole mission's about people. It's not about building a big building. They already had a big building. The temple was magnificent. That's why he said it was going to be destroyed. Because they actually love the building more than they love people. You know, just to, um, it's really sad. 
uh, Google put out a stat that there were seven times more searches for the burning cathedral in Paris than there were for the people who died in Sri Lanka. Seven times more. People care about buildings. God cares about people. Now, cathedrals are beautiful. I've been in Westminster Abbey. The acoustics are amazing. But I will not weep over buildings when people live forever. The temple was far more magnificent than the cathedral there in Paris. And Jesus said it would be gone. But he spoke of himself being the more important temple, didn't he? He said, this temple will be raised up in three days. But Jesus was about people. And he was about us, our sins, our helplessness, and our need for salvation. It doesn't even, we didn't even know we needed salvation. You know, when you're blind, you can't see things. So he had to open our eyes to show us what we needed. But this was the mission. And first thing, under his example, love was about others. The second, it says, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the what? End. To the end. Taking notes. Number two, love brings, love brings loyalty and perseverance. To love someone to the end means you can't bail. You can't give up. You can't just say, I'm leaving, I'm done. You are loyal out of love. Jesus was loyal because of love. Loyal individuals, I believe, are getting harder and harder to find. Don't you think? Yeah. It seems like loyal people are getting harder and harder to find. Loyal to a spouse. Loyal to the family. Loyal to other people. Loyal to a church fellowship. People church hop like crazy these days. Loyal to a group. You know, my grandfather was part of the Kiwanis Club. They have a hard time even getting people to do these kind of things anymore. You know, all these kind of things. I mean, loyal to anything. Loyal to an employer. And vice versa, we want employers to be loyal to us too, right? And in many cases, they're not either. Just loyalty is hard to find. But as it relates to people, being loyal where God has placed us and loyal to the people he's placed in our lives. This will confirm this fact. Loyalty necessitates love. Did you catch that? Loyalty necessitates... You can't be loyal without actually saying, I'm going to love in spite of. Why? Because loyalty is stretched at times, isn't it? You ever had your loyalty stretched? Loyalty can be stretched... Mistakes happen. A lot of times they're honest mistakes. Sometimes they're not honest. Sometimes they're on purpose. But mistakes happen if they're not if they're on purpose. They're just agitation or reach, uh, acting out. But mistakes happen. There's gaps in our character sometimes, which will stretch loyal well, and gaps in other people's character. There's shortcomings. You ever have expectations that aren't met? Husbands are looking at their wives thinking, yeah, I, I, hear, I deal with that a lot, you know. She, ex she expects a lot of me, and it goes both ways, guys. It goes both ways. I'm married, so I have to say this, so I could have to ride home and hear, you know, the, uh, you have the same kind of expectations of me. So, yes, it's, 
It's a 50-50 equation there. But we have expectations. Um, and sometimes there's failures. Not just missing them, but just complete failures. People that failed you. And these things will test your patience. They will test your perseverance. Forgiveness sometimes is required, isn't it? For would-be loyal friends are going to have to forgive their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, in the case of Jesus, as he thinks through all this, he's the only one perfect in the room. Every room he goes into, he's the only one perfect in the room. He's the only one saying, I've never failed you, 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 you. You failed me, you failed me, you failed me, you failed me. I'm bailing on all of you. He could have said that, but he's loyal to the end, faithful to the end, love them to the end. He's the only one perfect. He's the only one that's never failed, even though they have surely failed him at various times. Yet there he is, loving them through their growing. You've got to realize that when you are dealing with people, people are growing. Well, they're trying to grow. You're never going to get them to grow by beating them up or bailing on them but by coming alongside. Now, when they finally arrive, they'll understand some of these things more, won't they? He said, you'll understand this after I'm gone. But love brings loyalty and perseverance. Let's look at the next thing. If you're taking notes, love means humility. Love means humility. After suffer ended, you see what happens. Uh, the, the enemy has a hold of Judas Iscariot. And Jesus rose from supper and he now lays aside his garments. Lays aside his garments, verse 4. Pride and self-centeredness can never really be love. There's a selfish kind of love that the world has, but it's not love. It's a self-love, but it's not, it's not the kind of love that God has that looks outside ourselves. Genuine love requires humbling ourselves, getting down where others are at, down where the dirt is, right? You know where your feet are is where the dirt is, right? You've got to get down and dirty, if you will, right? But not the way that, you know, when the world says that, that's a way of kind of, I'm going to get nasty, down and dirty. I'm going to get even. God does it the opposite. I'm going to get down and dirty in love, down where the dirt is, means to humble ourselves. Jesus lays aside his garments. Now, this obviously has a deeper fulfillment. He's literally laying aside his glory, if you will. He's laying aside more, not just his garments that they can see, but the garments of his throne to get down and to wash their feet. It has a greater fulfillment with his sacrificial death, but it's instructive. Here's what's instructive of us. We're going to have to lay aside some aspect of our reputation, of our perceived rights, of what other people think to get down and wash feet. It's a humbling thing. God wants us. Uh, Instead of Moses, he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Why could God use Moses? Because he was humble. It was his humility. God wasn't looking for the brightest light out there or the sharpest tool in the shed. 
He was looking for humility. And Jesus, this is what he's modeling, that love will have to be humble. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to let people say something and let it go. Just let it go. Let it be on them. And the scripture says you're heaping coals of fire on their head by you loving anyway. Humbling. Love means humility. Let's look at the next one. So after this, he takes, lays aside his garments. After that, he pours water into the basin, begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Verse 5, the towel, he wipes them. Now, the Passover meal is not a drive-thru through Chick-fil-A. The fastest drive-thru you'll find is Chick-fil-A, right? I maintain that they can process 30 cars at the time McDonald's can process one. But... Um, but it's not that. The Passover meal is not fast food. It is a very, if you've done a Seder, we did one at our home last Friday night. It is a slow, methodical process. The whole thing is about slowing down. I'm, I'm working on a message right now. I don't know when I'll preach this year, but seven verses that will change your life if we live them out. And one of them is be still and know that I am God. And the whole Passover meal is about Focusing on God, it's about stopping the uh, nonstop New York subway train of our lifetime. Everything is, and it's even worse today. Busy, 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 crazy, busy. So it's not a it's not a fast food meal. The Passover is a slow down and know that God is present, and it kind of pushes everything out of the way. So you focus on the Lamb, which they would they, they didn't even understand at the time. In this Passover meal, literally the Lamb is in the room. And all other satyrs, the lamb was represented by the unleavened bread with little stripes and the little holes in the bread. But this time, the lamb is in the room. This Passover meal, this Passover seder, the lamb is right there. And so it's a slow process to go through it. But he spent time to have this meal with them. He's not rushed. He's not engaged uh, throughout uh, you know, he's not engaged in other things. He's focused on the meal and the meal with them. And he's not in a hurry to leave either. As he rises from the meal, he actually has more to do. Even the meal's done. Now, this is a longer meal. This is a reclining meal. Now he's going to wash their feet. He's not in a rush to leave. You ever been having a meal with someone? You can tell they, they want to get out of there. And you, you, you politely have a way to finish it up because you can tell they are done. And some people, the most they can spend with you is like 30 minutes and they're ready to move on. And, and you can I can tell where people's growth and maturity is by how rushed they are with everything. They can't just have a conversation. They've got to move on. They've got bigger and more important things than you. And so Jesus wasn't that way. Many believers are wanting to show love without giving any time. Many believers are wanting to show love without giving any time. Love frequently will require time, won't it? Time we don't think we have, but we're going to have to make, just as Jesus did. I mean, think about this. How is there time? This is my mind thinking, because uh, the Lord's been working on me for this. I, I've always been a fit 30 things into two minutes kind of person. And the guy said, no, 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 you need to stop doing it. You need to shorten the list. 
focus on the high priorities that, I, that are the kingdom of God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else is going to get in its right place. But how is it that Jesus has time for this long meal and washing their feet and all this when he really needs to get to Gethsemane and get strengthened by the Lord and an angel? I would already be in Gethsemane. I don't know about you. I need to get strengthened. But no, he takes the time. Even though he's preparing for the cross, he takes the time. And in today's blur, in today's world, are we willing to say, Lord, all these other things are pressing, but I will take the time right now to minister to this person you put in my path and change and alter my day because you want to do that. Or whatever it is. And sometimes it's just spending time with the Lord himself. But love, if you're taking us this third one, love, or this fourth one, love takes time. Let's look at the next one. Now we know that he's not just taking time, but he begins to wash. He begins to wash. He's moving the arms. He's scrubbing the feet. Love requires effort. Love requires effort. It's not only time that Jesus is giving. It's the physical effort of kneeling down, washing and drying each and every, do I say it? Sweaty foot in the room. You know, there you go. Uh, <laughs> this is sweat equity, for real. Every foot in the room takes effort. He has to perspire effort. Before he perspires in the Garden of Gethsemane, he'll actually sweat great drops of blood, but he's already working for the Lord and for the will of the Father here, and it's going to take some effort. Just like it's going to take time, just like it's going to take humility, it's going to take some effort. No one will be able to do the works that God has prepared for you to do but you. Did you know that? No one else can do the works God has prepared for you to do but you. No one can do my works that God's prepared for me but me. I have to do what God's prepared me to do. Now, if you're in leadership, if you manage people at, at, at your business or uh, you're in any kind of leadership or you're a parent at home and you have kids, you are a leader, you're called to be a leader. I think everyone's called to be a leader in some respect. But delegation is important in leadership. But there's a certain amount of effort you can never delegate but actually have to exercise yourself. Do you guys agree with that? If you're going to lead, you can't just always say, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. There's a lot of that's important. But there's a certain amount that you're going to have to do yourself. Jesus was what? An example. And by the way, effort and work for the Lord and others, they take other forms uh, as well. But the entire composite includes our time. All of it includes our time, our talents, our abilities, our efforts, and also our treasure. You say, well, how does treasure figure into this? Well, treasure is a measure of what amount of time you work to get it, and it still all belongs to God. The reason you have treasure is you had to put forth effort. You work X amount of hours. You got paid for it. But God says, your time still belongs to me. Your ability to do it belonged to me. The fact that your heart was beating at work belonged to me. And, oh, by the way, your paycheck belongs to me. But yet we revolt against that and say, well, you can't have any of it until I'm done doing it the way I want to do it. But it all, black, all belongs 
to God. Love requires effort. Last one. As he's doing all this, verse 6, then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, why are you washing my feet? You know what happens. Peter says, I don't need it. You can't do this. Jesus says, no, I must do it. Peter says, okay, then give me a bath. Right? <laughs> I just kind of simplified the whole thing, right? Jesus is not only doing this is his manifestation, uh, manifestation of love, but while he's doing something that's humbling, while he's doing something that takes some time, while it's taking effort, he's doing all this, and he's still having a conversation with Peter. Jesus is conversing, and he's listening to Peter while continuing to make progress with what he's engaged in. When you're doing the Christian life, you will have interruptions from people. If you're a parent, you know what it's like that nothing is without interruptions, right? But love still listens and converses. Doesn't say, hey, I don't have time for that. Now, there is a time and place, and, and sometimes it should be said, hey, can we hold that for just a second? If it's, you know, I am... I'm about to weld this. I don't want to weld my finger to the, uh, you know, to whatever. You know, there are certain, we get that. But Jesus is conversing, listening, and he's still engaged. People will have questions. People will have needs. People will need clarification. And they will interrupt at times. But love is able to stop and listen, digest. And what does Jesus do? He digests Peter's question, and then he answers it solidly. Of course, Jesus, of course, does everything solidly, right? And, and it's, he gives an answer. So this sixth one, love listens. Are we listening? Are we hearing when people are talking? Are we able to respond? That's his example. Let's take a look at the next thing here. His instructions. He doesn't just have instructions. Now we know that Peter's been asking these questions. Uh, uh, Peter's asking a question. Jesus is answering. And Jesus is about to move from modeling. All of this is Jesus actually, you, get, you could just watch him from a distance and see all these love languages, if you will. But now Jesus is moving from modeling it to now he's going to express with instruction what's important for them to glean from this and for them to walk out in their lives, the instructions. Now, the first one is more of an example, but he, he expresses it where he says, uh, if your feet are clean, you're clean all over. Now, the scriptures tell us that our feet are shod with what? The gospel of peace. This is a picture of the fact that once your feet have been shod with the gospel of peace, you're now walking in newness of life. You're walking through this world. You're not in the world. Uh, or you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You're literally, the Bible calls us a pilgrim or sojourner. So once your feet have been shod with the gospel of peace, you're no longer hanging out here. You're walking through here. When we started this service, we are seven, if you go back a week, we are seven days closer to spending eternity with Jesus. We are all seven days closer than last Sunday to spend an eternity with him. But that started when he washed our feet and our hearts with the gospel, if you've been saved, if you gave your life to Christ. So he says, first and foremost, you need your feet washed and shod with the gospel of peace. 
First off, we all have a desperate need. If you're taking notes under the second one, uh, uh, under his instructions, first is be washed by the Lord. First is be washed by the Lord. His instruction, he says, you need me to wash you. Do you all agree that Jesus needs to wash us? Yeah. This is a bath you can't give yourself. This is a sin issue. This is an eternity issue. This is only something he can do. So first and foremost, we have a desperate need to be cleansed from sin. Without the initial washing, now these guys were saved. This is typology of Jesus showing how he washes us. They had already come to Christ. They had already, but this is a picture. Just like the Lord's Supper is a picture of his death, it's not actually his death. It's a picture of it. We remember back. He is saying, hey, what I've done with you is this. I've washed you. But first, we need this initial washing of salvation, and it has to be by Jesus directly. It, it can't be an angel doing it. It can't be another saint. It has to be Jesus himself. If someone says, well, I'm, I, I've talked to people who say, well, I have a relationship with God, just not with Jesus. I'm like, I've had this conversation more than once where people told me, I believe in God, I just don't believe in Jesus, or I, I, have, a, I have a great relationship with God, just not with Jesus. I'm like, you don't have a relationship with God unless you have one with Jesus. Amen. He has to wash you personally. It's Jesus in the room, not someone else. He didn't send John the Baptist to do this. Jesus has to personally, and he's making the point that he directly is the one that washes. And if, if there's any service to him without him washing us, it's pointless. Many will say, Lord, Lord, on that day, and Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's pointless to worship and even serve God and do great things for God if Jesus hasn't first washed your feet and your heart. Now, that's a heart washing that Judas has not had yet. Everyone in the room is saved except for one. Judas has been doing church as a hypocrite. When people say there's a lot of hypocrites in the church, to a certain extent, they're right about all of us because everyone in this room has failed at some time. But in a, in a larger sense, it's not true because that's why Jesus says, well done, good and what? Faithful servant. It's just their own excuse to stay where they're at. Judas really was not ever washed and saved. So he's in the room, although he's going to leave, uh, and he has not had this washing himself. And as believers, we need to be, even after salvation, we still need to continue to be washed and ready, don't we? You're here this morning to be rewashed in a sense, aren't you? Right? I get washed even as I'm teaching. Because the Holy Spirit will say things to me that are not in my notes, that have nothing to do with what I wrote down. And the Lord's like, well, I'm going to preach to you while you preach to them. And this is impossible unless we first come to Jesus the first time. The first time. The first washing. Uh, we have to be even, we have to be for salvation, but we have to be post-salvation in the same room as Jesus. We have to be in the same room as him, walking with him. And where is that? It's not in the upper room of Jerusalem where they were at. They were in the upper room. But now, Jesus has ascended. Where is the upper room that we get together with Jesus? It's called the throne of grace. It's where the mercy is seated. You go there in prayer. Isn't that amazing? You actually, to some extent, access the portals of heaven in prayer because you're brought into 
the holy of holies. That we just sang the song, the veil was what? Torn. There's no veil now. If, we, if your feet have been washed, you walk into the presence of Jesus at the throne room of grace and his mercy seat. And he's in the room and you're in the room together. We go there by the Spirit. We go there by the Holy Spirit. We go there prepared by the Word of God. It's in the Word that we are prompted how to converse with God. It's the Word of God that leads us in conversation. Jesus was leading them in conversation. The literal Word is in the room. We now have a Bible in our hand to minister and how we should communicate in our prayer life. Now, just as close as Peter is to Jesus... We're just that close to Jesus now. Amen? We're that close to him. He's in our hearts. And then we're washed. This is, now I'm talking about after we've, the initial washing of salvation. That happened for me, as I mentioned earlier. That happened for me in June 1995. But since that day, Jesus has washed me thousands of times since. How about you? Not salvation washing, kind of like, Ready for work, shower. You know what I mean? That kind of washing. And that continues to happen in our life. Um, we're washed and made ready to serve because he's showing them first you have to have the initial washing of salvation, but you also have to have the washing of readiness or service. A prayer I've been praying for over a year now. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out to you. I've been praying this prayer over a year. Now, the Bible said, Jesus said, don't have vain repetitions like the heathens. Uh, you can have repetition in your prayer. It just can't be vain repetition. Some of you might pray a similar manner daily. That's fine. As long as it's not just rote, if you really are taught, like, I will follow this. The Lord put this little outline on my heart over a year ago, and I've been praying it not only for myself, but I've been praying it for our elders I've been praying it for our deacons. They didn't know I've been praying it this for them, but they're about to find out. So uh, I've been praying this for lots of people. I pray it for my wife and my three daughters. Uh, and here it is. The first one, and because I sometimes think in alliteration, I'm sorry, it's just the way God made me. I see things in, in, in patterns and things like that. Uh, the first one is consecrate me unto your service as I consecrate my life unto you. When I pray, a lot of times I'll pray, Lord, uh, I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice, Romans chapter 12. Uh, but the first thing I've been, and again, this has been for over a year now, consecrate me unto your service as I consecrate my life to you. Number two, I pray, cleanse me of all my sin, of pride, uh, and cast them as far as the east is from the west. Some of you pray that for cleansing? I hope you are. You need to be doing that daily. Number three, I pray, Lord, clothe me with humility, with garments of praise, with garments of service, and garments of priestly ministry. We've all been made kings and priests, the scriptures say. And so, Lord, I want to be clothed with the garments, not that I fashion, these are spiritual garments, that God literally comes down and places them on us. The world can't see them, but the Holy Spirit can see them. Isn't that cool? God can see garments on you that the world can't see. Number, number uh, four, calm me with your rest, your comfort, your peace, and teach me to be still and to wait on you. We try and get ahead of God all the time. In the day, in the month, in the year. So, Lord, calm me with your rest and your comfort and your peace 
and teach me to be still. And then the fifth one, and I pray, again, all of these, I just kind of walk through them. They're kind of my walking through the temple <laughs> in prayer, if you will. Uh, Come upon me, Lord, with an anointing of your Holy Spirit, your power, your grace, your joy, your perseverance, and here's the last one, genuine love. Paul wrote, if we don't have love, everything else profits us nothing, right? I have to pray for more love, and I pray for more faith in that one too a lot of times. So that's uh, consecrate, cleanse, clothe, calm, come upon. I didn't come up with it. I feel like the Lord just said, one day I want you to just pray this pattern and mean it. So it's not vain repetition for me. Uh, it's very conversational. Um, it's not just kind of like saying the rosary or saying, you know, I really am thinking, praying through these things. So we need, um, we need his instructions to be washed. Uh, second here, we need to humble ourselves. We talked about love as humility, but Jesus here specifically says... Um, if I then, your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought. We're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to go lower. We're going to have to lay aside our supposed rights, and uh, we're going to have to be a- approachable. Don't you love when people are approachable? Don't you really not like it when people are not approachable? They're standoffish. They're better than you. They kind of have airs. None of that should be us. Willing to reflect the character of Christ. Nothing to do with... You shouldn't have any kind of service to Christ that is about your personal gain or my personal gain. This lays the groundwork for a greater work. If it's done in humility, it lays the groundwork for a greater work of God. No one is drawn to God... Mark this down. No one is drawn to God by our supposed awesomeness. Even our spiritual strength doesn't draw anyone to God. Our great victories. You know, sometimes you watch some of these television preachers, and you're like, come on. Are you, that, are you like Superman? And you know they're not. But rather, it's through a spirit of gentleness and sincerity. Jesus modeled gentleness and sincerity here, didn't he? He didn't like, let me tell you all about my amazingness. Because he was modeling how they were going to have to walk after he left. Since uh, seeds of genuine humility and selfless love are the seeds that the Lord, get this, will absolutely water. Do you believe that? Seeds of humility and selfless love. You can believe that God will honor this in your life. He will water that. If you start to walk in it, I walk in it, God will do more exponentially greater things than we could think. I love this quote from Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Don't even try and write all that down. But uh, he said, love does not dominate, it cultivates. Love does not dominate, it cultivates. Isn't that the essence of Jesus' ministry? He always cultivated. He talked about planting. He talked about trees bearing fruit. He always talked about cultivating that you would bear more fruit. But love doesn't dominate, it cultivates. And the last point here under uh, his instructions Serve Christ by serving others. So he says, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Not, what you, not, not just follow my footsteps, but you're going to have to literally wash other saints' feet. The priests under the law were called to minister who? To who? The priests were called to minister to the Lord, right? All the incense went which direction? 
up. It didn't go into the tents of people. It went up into heaven. The incense didn't just wave down and, and uh, land inside everyone's tent. No, they ministered to the Lord. That's where the sacrifices were up into the vertical. We minister in our life. We minister first to the Lord, and that was what the priesthood were called to do under the law in the tabernacle and in the temple, which of course, but that was of course a place for people to come to. And so as you minister to the Lord, you automatically minister to people. So if I come up in the pulpit and I say, Lord, I'm going to minister unto you, I will automatically minister unto you. I mean, the you there to the you here, right? It, it goes that way, that we minister unto the Lord, but through that, God always turns that ministering to him into the practical, down in the dust, if you will, because we're made of dust, people, ministering to people. And the same language is used uh, in the New Testament, by the way, uh, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. It says of Paul and Barnabas, they ministered unto the Lord, and then they were sent out to people. They ministered to the Lord, and then they were sent out to people. And we see that the church leadership there in Antioch was ministering to the Lord, and then after prayer and fasting, that's when the Holy Spirit says, here's how I want you to minister to the people. You must minister to the Lord, but it will not end there. It will always be tangible in touching people's lives. Um, Paul Tillich, a theologian, said, there is no love which does not become help. So in other words, the more you minister to God he will then have you minister to people. If you have a ministry to the Lord in prayer, he will always then say, now go wash feet. Now go ahead and serve others. But again, as we serve unto the Lord and as we serve unto Christ, it'll end up in practical service. It'll end up investing in other people. Leaders in Antioch served on the inside, but then they served on the outside. And we want we need that balance of, when you think about inside and outside, we think about inside the church, inside of Calvary Chapel Richmond versus outside. We have to minister to the lost, but we also have to minister to the saints. Where's the balance? The Holy Spirit gives us that balance. Because a lot of times it will change. Did you know it can change in seasons? Slightly. There'll be slight deviations where the Holy Spirit says, I want you to put an emphasis here, and that's where you have to be in tune with the Lord. But generally speaking, the balance is already there, but it might tilt a little bit from time to time. And, but ultimately, we'll have this desire to serve others. Last thing we see. Here's the clincher. Jesus models something. He instructs something. And now he expects something. What? Our response. Oh, we don't like this part. This might mean we, we might have to sign up for something, right? Uh, we might have to commit to something. You know, we might have to say, yes, Lord. Uh, he might actually give you a water bowl and a washcloth and say, let's see how you did on the exam, right? Start washing. <clears throat> he says this at the very end of it all, verse um, 16 and 17. We know in verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 15, he says, I've given you this example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, verse 16, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than him who sent you. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Knowing hearers or knowing doers, which one will we be? We'll be one or the other. Knowing hearers or knowing doers. Knowledge with action 
or knowledge with inaction? What will we do? Maybe you say, I'm already serving. Maybe you say here, I'm already serving. I'm serving here. I serve this way. I serve that way. Great. Great. Three things if we're already serving. Number one, if you're already serving, and the best you know, you're serving with a pure heart. You're not perfect. You're a faithful servant, but you're not perfect. Uh, Keep abiding in Jesus and keep Jesus as the focus of your service. Right? Number one, if you're already serving. I have to tell this to myself all the time. Keep abiding in Jesus and keep him the focus of your service. Number two, and this is part of your prayer life, it's part of five of my little prayer outline, Lord, help me to grow in love. Because the more you grow in love, the more your ministry in this world can expand. Did you know that God has no limit to his expansion of love? Did you know that you can love 10,000 times more than you currently do because God has an infinite capacity? So no, no matter what, if you live to be another 50 years, you can become more loving in all 50 years. Isn't that great to know? There's never a cap. You haven't hit the point. Oh, that's about it. Now, we put caps on it. That's our own choice. Or we say, that's about as far as I'm going to go. Number three, if you're already serving, don't grow weary and jaded. Now, if you're doing the first two, you won't grow weary and jaded. You won't grow weary and jaded. You'll get tired, but you won't become cynical and jaded. This is if we're already serving. Now, you know Galatians 6, 9 says this, and let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Isn't that great to know? There's a due season coming. You say, well, I am wiped out, but I still have joy, and I'm fatigued, but I still am keeping Jesus my focus. I'm growing love. Don't worry. Your season's coming. What if you're not serving Christ and others? Maybe you're saved, but you're not serving. You're being fed, but you're not feeding anyone else. You're mooching off of God. You're being fed, but you're not feeding. It's time to fully believe. It's time to take off the garments of procrastination, take off the garments of excuses, take off all those things, and start washing feet in the name of Jesus. That's what he wants. I like this quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, there would be no sense in saying you trusted in Jesus if you will not take his advice. Isn't that true? I believe everything Jesus says. All right, start washing feet. Well, not that. Everything but that. And it's really not everything but that. It's hardly anything at all. Because this is a simple thing. To start serving people is really easy. Um, I, I honestly... Uh, in some respects, I, um, I know what God's called me to do. I know I'm called now to feed the Word. But there's a part of me that would be really fine with just uh, mowing the grass at the church and doing nothing but outside. I love that stuff because it's so mindless now. It's like I just enjoy it, and it, there's no thinking through problems. My only problem is how do I trim this or how do I do this? I work in my own yard. It's, it's therapeutic for me. But yet, serving in and of itself is actually rewarding. And once you believe the words of Jesus, well, you'll see him manifest his truth in so many other areas. Why in the world would we reject the advice of Jesus? Why would we? Why would we? Uh, his sacrifice was A, enough, right? Uh, his will is perfect. Uh, he's worthy 
of all of our service because he's purchased us. He's wise and we're not wise. That's a good one, right? Let's understand. The Lord does not need our service. Did you know this? He could, tell, he could have angels do it better than us. He does not need us. He allows us to be part of his ministry and part of his kingdom. Do you see the difference? He's not in desperate need. I need some volunteers. No, he's allowing us to be part. As Mordecai told Esther in Esther 4.1, if she didn't do it, God would raise someone else up. God always has a resource better than us. Always. He allows us to be part of it. it was that, by the way, that was a warning from Mordecai, but he said if you do it, you're going to be blessed. But Jesus adds a promise. He, he has warned in other Gospels about you know, the, the, Matthew 25, for example, is a great chapter to read about the warning of not doing what Jesus is asked to do. Here he doesn't really warn, he just adds a blessing, uh, and he adds a promise. And I don't know if you saw it. Blessed are you if you do. Why is that so important? As I said, Matthew 25 has a warning, but uh, this is emphasizing that obedience and serving is a blessing now, and of course it'll be a blessing in eternity in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, seeing, hearing, and knowing what to do is valuable. I want to understand the instructions. How about you? But it's no, it does you no good to read the instructions and then not actually apply them. So what does all this mean to us? The blessing is in the doing. The blessing is in the doing. The blessing is in the going. The blessing is in the washing. The blessing is in the li listening. The blessing is in the serving. God is pleased, will be blessed, and others will be blessed. And I believe this is the only answer we could possibly have. And that would be us to follow his advice, his example, and his instructions. Amen? Amen. How could we go wrong with that? We couldn't. Let's close in prayer. And then I've got two things to show you, show you as it relates to, I mentioned what, how we're praying, and I want to do a little follow-up ministry Sunday, and the worship team will come up after that, and we'll close in worship together. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your example. We thank you for your instructions. And we even thank you for the call to commit. Because, Lord, we know that your call to commit is you want to bless us by being part of your work. It's not a burdensome thing. You said, Jesus, your commandments are not burdensome. You said you've come to give us rest. We cannot find rest outside of serving you. We cannot find rest outside of submitting to you. We will find more rest and joy washing dirty feet than we will trying to please ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that you would show this to us, reveal this to us, and, Lord, that we would believe, receive, and then take the right steps of faith in putting this into action in our lives. If they're already doing it in this room, Lord, I pray that you'd bless the service and help us, Lord, to keep you as our focus. Help us to grow in love and help us not to become weary in well-doing, but remember that seasons of harvest are coming. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.